0: All right. Well, here we go once again. We are uh, Wednesday, and it's 9.23 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time over here on the east coast of Canada. And we're going through Genesis, right? That's been the book we've been uh, going through and looking at the information therein and learning uh, what we can. And uh, we go through these studies more so along the lines of a uh, Practical application to our faith, if you will, more so than you would uh, academic pursuits and things like that. Not that there is no use for uh, academic pursuits. There certainly are in the right context, but over here as a podcast setting uh, session for our Wednesday-themed studies, uh, we want to kind of look at the information through the lens of practical application and how we today in our faith would uh, apply that. And uh, in Genesis chapter 24... We see uh, Abraham seeking a wife for his son Isaac, and we're going to see Rebecca coming into the uh, recorded account. So, by all means, stick around. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Give us a rumble, a thumbs up, an emoji of sorts, uh, comments, uh, share the link far and wide. All this kind of housekeeping stuff helps the Added Souls Ministry move forward and the studio uh, growing. And uh, that's some good stuff uh, to, to be part of. And also consider going to addedsouls.locals.com where you can uh, sign up for free and choose to support monthly. No amount is too low, no amount is too high. You do have exclusive content there that I do produce throughout the month that you will have access to. And uh, yeah, it helps uh, the Added Souls ministry move forward through the Maya family and the work we are involved in here on the East Coast of Canada with the East Coast Church of Christ. You can check that out over at East Coast Church of Christ. Com. Genesis chapter 24. Many verses in chapter 24, 67 verses in chapter 24. We're going to start with verse 1, move our way forward, and see uh, how far we, we make it. That good? That okay? Let me just check our feed, make sure everything's going okay. On this end? Yeah, there we go. All right. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, the text would say, in verse 1 of chapter 24. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, and indeed he was blessed. Let me put the text up on the screen here, if I can, uh, so you can read it along with me. All right, uh, let me see here. There we go. Yeah, Oh, maybe if I squish it a bit here, I'll be able to I'll be able to put a lot more, or make it bigger. There we go, so that you can read the words along with me, right? Yeah. Okay, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And of course, we've been seeing Abraham's journey, and it's been quite the journey, hasn't it? Man, if I look back at the pages here, where we've seen chapter 12... Abraham's journey to Egypt, everything that took place there, of course, his uh, marriage to uh, Sarah, and then Hagar gets into the mix, and oh man, they make a lot of bad decisions, right? Decisions that were not uh, according to God's will, but yet God's divine intervention and his mercy, his grace, and Abraham course recognizing a great many things in his life and always seeking to be pleasing to his master all that kind of stuff he's been through a lot and there's a some pretty (laughs) some pretty definite life-changing moments right that he's gone through there so abraham was old advanced in age and the lord had blessed abraham in every way in every way you know he wasn't lacking and that indeed of course is um, something we should recognize today thousands of years after the fact, believers. In Jesus Christ, who follow the Son, uh, we are blessed in every way. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ. Paul would, uh, would write to his brethren in Ephesus, I believe, and uh, that is true. It's always been true. If you are found uh, obedient to God, love to love God because you recognize that he first loved us, to, to be a faithful believer— um, or a believer who is faithful uh, in mind, in his motives, in his thoughts, in, in his life, walking according to uh, the mercy and grace of our Lord and Master. Man, we got all the blessings. doesn't mean life's easy. Life is not easy-peasy. Anyone who's lived on this earth long enough knows that. Some of us <laughs> sooner than others. But uh, yeah, it, 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 the blessings of our Lord will will govern our thoughts, through his word, to teach us uh, right from wrong, and to, to make the, the proper decisions. And we saw when, when Abraham and, and Sarah were not making decisions according to God's will, uh, they found themselves in a lot of sticky moments, right? A lot of sinful uh, positions. And uh, when they did follow God, they found a, a great many blessings therein. So Abraham said this to his servant here in verse 2, chapter 24, Genesis. He says to his servant, The oldest of my household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country, verse 4, and to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So, a father's love for his son, obviously, when one is found uh, with God, uh, is going to be mindful of other generations, of his ancestry, and the security and safety of his people. And the love he has for his son seeks to have his son well, with a woman from the house of God, meaning a woman who would be of the covenant, who would understand and believe in the God uh, of the patriarch, uh, the God in which Abraham had uh, a promise and covenant, uh, more so, of course, knowing that there would be um, a greater security there for his departure unto the eternal uh, knowing his son would be well on this earth to continue the lineage and the covenant and, and all these kind of things, and so he's mindful of that and any good father, I am a father of three beautiful children, two sons, one daughter, eldest son, daughter in the middle, youngest son and uh we've been praying for them to find the proper candidate that would be within the household of faith, that would be of uh, the Christian principle, the Christian faith. And there's a reason for that, because we know anyone who loves Jesus more so than anything else in life is going to love their spouse. A faithful husband is one who loves Jesus first and foremost, and because he loves Jesus, and understands the love of Christ towards mankind and towards his followers, we Christians. Well, a faithful husband to Christ is going to be a faithful husband to his wife. You see, that's a comfort. That eases the anxiety of uncertainty because we know they will be going uh, in God's hands. And so Abraham... Having gone through all the many things he's gone through, obviously he, he gained wisdom from God in his experiences. And he knows um, about life from the perspective of father to have that peace of mind, that my son is with a woman that is from the household of faith and not of the foreigner the unbeliever, the heathen, the pagan, those who follow their own vices and their own gods. Gods, of course, that are built by the minds of men, not the great I am, in which Abraham is submissive to and wants his son to remain within that fold. And I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. He understands the, the situation. We over here on the east coast of Canada, my children are not going to, f- you know, it's, it's not an event. <laughs> how should I say this? When we visited the south for several years, east Tennessee, uh, and uh, we got to experience how many Christians there are over there. Uh, of the household of faith now don't 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 think me ignorant i I certainly saw many Christians most of which were not faithful but many more were than you would find over here on the east coast of Canada the northerners way the maritimes tradition our ancestry go back to a great many things we had Viking settlements over here uh, we are northsmen uh, we've just mishmashed everything together in a universal religion, where we have certain things from Judaism, we have certain things from Christianity, we have certain things from the pagans and the heathens, and we all just mishmash it it all up, and we call it Catholicism, which is a political power and influence that came about by mishmashing all these religious views together in one entity uh, for political influence and power. And so... My children don't have the buffet of uh, individuals whom to choose as candidates for marriage. It's just not available here. There's nothing for them here in the immediate uh, community and state, province. There just isn't. You'd be hard-pressed in Canada as a country itself. So what do we do as parents? Well, we've been praying first and foremost. And because of the blessing of technology and the connection we can now have globally with Christians in other countries, that facilitates paths to friendship and getting to know the parents and getting to know the kind of um, lineage is found in the family. Those things are important for me and my wife, as those who oversee the well-being of our children at this point though they will certainly have independence in choosing whom they seek to marry. As they stand under our house, we get to choose whom they date. And you all know you don't marry someone you don't date. So we prepare ourselves uh, in good stewardship to visit locations where there are many Christians. And possibility for or opportunity for cultivating a future union with our children and other Christians. That is, of course, the goal. Now, we are speaking of faithful households, face faithful Christians. Today, everybody calls themselves Christian. Satan walks around calling himself a Christian, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's become cliche in vain in the Western world. Everyone's a Christian. Well, I'm speaking of a peculiar people, a very unique royal priesthood, the ones who are uh, Fateful, according to the standards of the Holy Spirit, the sixty-six books of the Holy Bible. Learning from the thirty-nine, living under the twenty-seven, the new, the new covenant. So I understand the mind of a father, right? Even thousands of years later, in a very different context and a very different era, uh, uh, the the system is still the same. He wants to make sure his son will be taken care of. That his son will find true love in a faithful uh, mate. And he's preparing that now. And that, of course, gives us insight that we should prepare for these things now. Don't wait till it's too late. Get things in order now. Get things prepared now. Are you thinking about having children? You've not yet had children? Start praying for their uh, weddings to come, that God and his providence play a part in that, play the biggest part, if you will. Our responsibility is just to do things according to his will. His department is to take care of how that happens through providential paths. And that's a beautiful thing we've been given, a powerful thing we've been given. As we, you and I, are submissive to the natural realm And uh, we can have hope and trust in God, in his power, and what his will produces. So Abraham doesn't want his son to get involved with foreign threat. Um, That is indeed still today, statistically, an objective absolute. Studies have been made, and I've shared this numerous times throughout the years, and podcast sessions, and sermons, and studies, Um, statistically speaking, the numbers, the, the the math, the science, after studying and taking in uh, the... Uh, how should I say? Uh, after taking in decades of studies uh, in local congregations of our Lord's Church, faithful loca- uh, congregations of our Lord's Church, in three different locations, autonomous to each other, decades studies have been accumulated by brethren who saw the value of doing these studies. Well, the conclusion came and proved the fact that our children, our youth within a faithful church who choose to marry an unbeliever, foreigners, um, more than 70-some percent withdraw themselves from the church, from our Lord and His grace they do. It's it's an undeniable, objective, absolute fact. It just is. That doesn't... God in the New Testament in which we are submissive to, following the Christ, does not bind a law that says you cannot marry an unbeliever. You certainly have the free will permissibility to do so. You You are permissible. You have the authority of God to marry an unbeliever. However, God is wise in his instruction for us to recognize that if you do go that route, route, there may be some complications and there are going to be some very heavy challenges that you would not have if you are married to a faithful Christian. And so we are encouraged by the structure of the scripture to marry a faithful Christian. And that is how we are raising our children. They might not have that up. They might not do that, but they will certainly have been taught from mom and dad uh, through the the, the written scripture. The written scripture through mom and dad, they will learn that the best decision is to make sure you marry someone who loves Jesus above and beyond anything else. Because that's what makes a warm an encouraging household that can persevere through everything this life has to throw at us. It's a fallen world, and there's a lot of things to go through. And to go through it in a loving union is much better, much better. So Abraham knows this information. Of course, under the old law, there were strict uh, things taking place as well that we today have more uh, of a, uh, how should I say, because we live in a more mature covenant. See, the Old Testament is the child holding the hand of the father or mother before they cross the street. The New Testament, you've grown. You should have learned from the Old Testament when you were holding your father's hand or your mother's hand to cross the street, to look both ways and to make sure you don't get squished like a grape on the street. So in the New Testament, we are in a more mature covenant where we should know these things already. We should know to look both sides of the street before crossing and not to cross in front of heavy traffic and things like that. So there is a law. The law is well and alive in the New Testament. We are under the law of our Lord and Master, the Christ, which is mercy and grace, and it has order. It has justice. It has commands. There are things we must do as citizens of his kingdom. A kingdom cannot be a kingdom without a king, and it cannot be a kingdom without borders and boundaries, justice and law. And we find peace in justice. So we are in a more mature covenant where we should already know what we need to do to cross the street. We should know that marrying faithful Christians is the wise way forward. If we are seeking a candidate through the instruction of the word of our Lord and Master, we will indeed marry the, the right person. But if we're going based on lust or worldly decisions and worldly judgments, we're going to find ourselves in a marriage that's going to be truly more challenging than it would have been if you would have just married a faithful Christian. And though again, you may live in a location like I live where there are no other Christians my children can grow up with and be friends with and 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 one day marry. Because Of the power God has. And with God, all things are possible. We have the internet, we have connections and contacts with locations where there are many Christian youth, and you can have pen pals, you can have internet social connections, we can take uh, uh, retreats and go visit, and you can cultivate that. And the right candidate we leave in God's hands, through our responsibility, obviously, But that's important. So though you may live in a location where you say, my children have no other Christians to marry, don't allow that to blind you from the many opportunities there still are to have them meet good, faithful Christians. So the servant said to him, suppose the woman, he he says in in, in, in verse 5, well, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Like, Abraham's request is an, is an oath, okay? And it's a cultural display of action that solidifies this covenant that, that is not to be broken. This oath is not to be broken un, unless the exception to the rule is given. And of course, Abraham will give that exception. My son is to marry a woman from the house, household of God, the covenant. But if she refuses then that will cancel the oath, and obviously he can marry who he wants to. But he knows what's going on. Like, I am well, because of my past life, uh, I know what the unbelieving world and the kind of women they produce. They are very uh, lascivious. They are very, what the world would call, sexy. And uh, they are fast women. And in today's over-sexualized culture, once again, um, it's tempting for a young man or a young woman to go down the path of Hollywoodism, if you will, and uh, find nothing but chaos and division and divorce and uh, children, children uh, damaged in the mix. And uh, I don't want that for my children. Abraham didn't want that for his son. He could see the difference from you know the Egyptian women and the women of the household of God. There's a difference. (laughs) Look at the women and how they dress, the language they speak through their clothing, uh, their facial uh, um, art, the art they paint their faces with. Everything is designed for you to think sexually upon them and to to follow that path uh, uh, according to the flesh and not according to the Word of God. So... Again, we can understand what's taking place here, but his servant, Abraham's servant, who is uh, commanded to move forward with this uh, oath, he says, well, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Like, what if she doesn't want to? Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. And he's very strong with that. Listen. I know what's there. I don't want him to go back there. There's a purpose for that. And there's a concern. And there's a reason. And he wants to make sure that that is drilled in and uh, respected and honored. So in verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, hear Abraham speaking to his servant, right? Regarding his servant's concern says, beware that you don't take my son back there. I'm telling you. Listen, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth. And we we went through that, didn't we? In chapter, what was it, 12? I think it was chapter 12. Let me check here real quick in my Bible. Yeah, chapter 12, we kind of see that journey beginning. And I encourage you to check out the archived podcast sessions if you want to go back to, to, to that location. Well, the Lord the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. According to the oath, if this woman is not willing to uh, uh, marry my son, then he is released. The the exception to the rule is now available, and it can be utilized. However, there is boundary, and this is the boundary. My son can't go back there. He just can't go back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, verse 9, and swore to him concerning this matter. So all cultural Uh, um, honors have been uh, displayed and taken into account. So the servant then, you know, he takes 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. Verse 10. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. And the time when women go out to draw water. So it is wisdom, it is insight to recognize the opportune time in which one could meet potential candidate. And he is instructed and he has instruction and he is indeed uh, comforted by the path he must go forward with this. And so he said in verse 12, O Lord, the God of my master, who is that? Abraham, who's speaking? The servant. Please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master, Abraham. And that, of course, gives us insight into the mind of a faithful servant at this here junction. We recognize that perhaps we too should be concerned for one another and be selfless to have the greater good of our brethren placed first and foremost before our own, and that we should pray to God. For those we serve, for those we love, and for those who hate us. Why we pray for our leaders, the kings and queens, prime ministers and presidents. We pray. We pray for people. We are a praying people who pray for people. And as a servant, we pray to those we are submissive to our governing authorities, our employers, our mothers, our fathers, our grandparents, to all around us. The scriptures speak of the church as a body of individuals who are submissive to one another, who are submissive to the elders. If you are a servant to your elder, we should seek to have this perspective, this faith, praying to God for the well-being of our elders, that our elders Tasks and office and goals and hopes are according to God's will. Elders who work hard night and day to make sure the congregation is well fed and taken care of and secure and defended, we pray for our elders that the goals they have for the congregation moving forward, that it will be achieved, that God's blessing is upon them. Right course. So he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Allow us to be successful in the things we want to do for you, dear God, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Father, please allow us to be productive for your son, that we can take full use of the opportunities you've placed before us. These talents Great and holy Father, allow us to be productive for your Son as citizens of his kingdom. May we recognize these opportunities. May we have the wisdom to discern right from wrong and to make use of what is right for your purpose. You see the heart of a faithful servant. Behold, I am standing by the spring, he says in verse 13, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be, verse 14, that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master." So he is there, of course, to witness the pivotal moment, the account in which God's providence had structured a path forward uh, for a woman to become the wife of Isaac. Pleasing to Abraham, his father. Pleasing to his servant, who is pleading to God in prayer that he be successful in this task, this endeavor that he was set upon. For us Christians, we are indeed commanded to practice evangelism, that we must be individuals who evangelize. Our faith is not to be hidden under a bushel. Our faith is to be the light of the community. We are to be individuals who are approachable, who are examples, right? We are human beings. We find ourselves acting silly, being humorous, at times perhaps being too emotional with things, at times perhaps uh, 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 discouraged and in anger or frustration. But we must always, to our best ability, seek to be faithful always, walking in the light and being an example in the community. And God's providence through His work in our lives will make us fruitful for the master. And this servant wants to be fruitful for his master. He wants to be successful. Why? For his own praise? No, for the greater good of his master. Please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. You see, the wisdom of a man who can identify a good woman, a woman who is humble... Submissive and thoughtful. You want to if if you are in the quote unquote market (laughs) to find candidate for marriage, you you be wise to list behavioral uh, practices that are good and kind and decent that all human beings should have, that come from where? That come from God, the Word of God. Now, of course, we recognize that it is an impossible mountain to climb if you are seeking someone who is perfect. There was only one perfect human being, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, we know that, but that should never be utilized as an excuse to marry an awful, toxic individual. It's the same when you choose whom you are going to marry. This is the same as whom you would choose to have in your circle as a friend. When you become friends with an individual who is a toxic individual who is taking advantage of you but has manipulated you, you're gonna find yourself down the road somewheres in a lot of sorrow and pain. It's the same with friends. We are not to if it, we are not to be around bad company. It corrupts good moral and we are not to be around divisive individuals they are to be marked and avoided so if you are seeking to be friends with people who are bad company and who are divisive eventually you're going to find yourself in a in a in a very difficult moment in your life it's the same with friendship it's the same with a marriage because you are ultimately marrying a friend so we be wise to 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 see what's taking place here and and why uh this uh, is being said to God in order to have a, a a uh the desired outcome, right? A woman who is going to give refreshment to a man who's been on a journey, who is going to want to feed or to 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 um to give drink to his mode of transportation of the day, the camels to to his she is thoughtful. She is submissive. She is willing to help. This is a, this would be a sign, if you will, of a good woman. Now, he's not going to go through a list of, well, what do you believe about this, that, and the other, but at least at this point, in this culture, in this time, being a woman of the household of faith, who is submissive, who is kind, who is thoughtful, this this is a sign that this woman might be the right candidate. And God, of course, would, through his providence, allow that to be. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Evidence shown by action. If you love Jesus, but you don't do what he tells you to do, do you really love Jesus? There's a reason he wrote, If you love me, keep my commandments. There's a reason James said, Faith without works is dead. Faith in the Bible, faith according to the Bible's description, is an active word. It's a word that has action. So if you within your heart believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are going to act upon your belief that he is the Son of God. So if the Son of God says, do you believe in me? And you say, of course I do, Master. You are the Son of God, the King, my Lord. And he says, you need to have your sins forgiven, and you need to do this here thing that I command you to do in order to have your sins forgiven. And you say, no, I don't need to do that because I believe in you. He will say, I don't know you. I know those who obey me. It is good that within your heart you believe. But if that belief never uh, becomes an outward action, of humble submission to the commands, then you'll never become the recipient of the blessings I have prepared for you, the forgiveness of sins, legal citizenry as a member of my body, my kingdom. The servant could have said, well, I believe you, Abraham, I believe God, so I'm going to stay here not doing anything. Well, that, that would have not achieved the desired result. If we truly believe in God... There has to be an action. It's nothing we can meritoriously earn. It's nothing we can boast about. It is simply just doing what he has commanded us to do. You see, that's the beauty of free will, the gift of free will we've been given. God has created us with free will. A free will agent can show God his love or his hate, Robots don't do that. Robots do what you've programmed them to do. Even artificial intelligence, they're still programmed. They have a creator, (laughs) the minds of men. But the great I am who created us in his image, we were endowed with free will, a conscience to do what's right or wrong. And though he might know all our decisions before we choose them, that doesn't stop us from our location here. In the realm of nature and things natural to practice our free will, either in the positive for him or in the negative against him. And in this here context, seeking a woman for Isaac through Abraham and his servant, we see belief, we see faith in action. We see faith in action. Abraham had faith in God. And because of that, he sent his servant to go find a woman for his son. His servant had faith in God. And so he is taking the instructions from Abraham, his master, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And here he is at that very moment, where faith and prayer and providence meet and this woman is a thoughtful, kind, submissive, humble woman. And she is the right candidate for Isaac. Isn't that beautiful? I think so. And that'll conclude for our session today. I don't want to move forward with that this hour. We'll continue next week. But it's, um, it's truly a, uh, a beautiful thing that we get to tap into this information and learn from it. And have practical application to it. Today. Thousands of years after the fact. We still are blessed with the ability to uh, produce uh, action to our faith. Right? I think that's pretty good. It helped me a great deal. Hey man, I'm a Gentile. (laughs) I lived out there in the world for decades. Started following Jesus June 26th. 2011 it's crazy how quick time flies doesn't it it's already been uh 11 years moving forward man so i know what's out there in the world and uh when i started reading this book there are many things there i didn't understand first and foremost when you're a gentile and you come to the bible for the first time it's not like if you were born a jew you know, where you have the Pentateuch in your heart and you've been reading and reciting and you know the the scriptures. I, I mean, I had to learn everything from scratch, zero, you know. And it's a beautiful thing that my father had done the same thing earlier in his life, converting out of denominationalism into the realm of pure Christianity, which is read in the scripture. But we had to learn these things by trial and error. What is faith? What is belief? Who is Jesus? Who is God? What is heaven? What is hell? What are demons? What are angels? What is the forgiveness of sins? What is repentance? What does these things mean? What, what kind of language is it speaking? There seems to be places in the Bible where it's speaking kind of like a poetic language. There seems to be other language that's apocalyptic, speaking of judgment and wrath, and and and, and it's talking about a kingdom. What kingdom is that? Kingdom needs a king. And who is God? The scriptures speak of one God, yet in three persons. What does that even mean? Like you had to, I had to go through so many um, misguided thoughts and interpretations in order to navigate myself finally to the location the scriptures want you to be. When you're humble and submissive, honest and transparent, genuine to the text, you take your time with it, and the author... Of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, who wrote and governed through 40 men in a span of about 15 to 1600 years. It's, a, I mean, even studying how the Bible got put together is amazing. It really is. It's extraordinary. You can tell that there has been a supernatural power behind the formation of these 66 books. Well, we kind of had to learn directly from the word of God, because I kind of found, I found out real quick, you can't trust pastors and priests and reverends and popes and preachers and moms and dads and neighbors and coworkers and friends and family. Like everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an interpretation. Everybody has a subjective way of judging. And I found out that everyone's contradicting each other. And no wonder there are so many religions that call themselves the Christian religion. So We kind of withdrew ourselves from that influence and only use the 66 books of the Holy Bible because only the 66 books of the Holy Bible have been proven as inspired writ. Like I'm not just repeating or regurgitating something that's been told to me. A decade in now, I've had to do these studies myself, looking to these things myself. Now, have there been faithful individuals who had already gone through these studies who were giving me suggestions or telling me helpful hints and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. But if someone were to tell me, hey, this Bible verse doesn't mean what it plainly says, then I knew there was a problem. If you read a verse like, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, whoever does not believe shall be damned, and someone tells you that doesn't mean what it plainly says, then you start to, then you, you start to see there's a problem out there in the world. And you need to trust the word of God instead of what they're saying. Someone says you don't need to repent in order to have the forgiveness of sins. Well, the Bible plainly says you have to repent of your sins. So if the Bible says you can't go to heaven if you don't repent, but yet you have a pastor, a priest, a reverend, a pope, a whoever, a religious leader, or even a family member or neighbor or co-worker saying, oh yeah, you don't need to repent. God's grace will take care of that for you. You can go to heaven even though you've lived you live a sinful life well, who are you really going to believe? Now, you can meet God believing whatever they said, but I chose not to do it that way. I, ch- I chose, I want to meet God being able to do what whatever the Bible says. And something I've learned that's very important regarding the Scripture is one has to have, even if novice, because I came to it novice, one has to have an understanding of The science that is necessary for the interpretation to be according to the author's intent. What do I mean? Well, you're going to read verses that say Jesus is the door. Well, is Jesus literally a rectangular wooden object that you turn the knob and go in? No, he's speaking spiritually, isn't he? He's speaking of something, he's utilizing an illustration, an example for something greater. Well, you need to be able to know that in your mind. Why is it today that we don't sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats? Well, some still do, and they do so because they they don't understand the Scripture and how it is to be rightly handled. So they bind laws where God don't bind, and they loose laws where God never loosed. And so you have to have an understanding of the interpretations. When God speaks of apocalyptic things, We have to be sober of mind to understand what that means and where it took place and how it took place. Again, I'm kind of going off on a a different direction, but it's all to the point, it's all to to help uh, our thoughts be pure to the information that we're reading so as to know what applies to us today and what doesn't. Now, all the Bible applies to us in one way or another, but... um, there are things that simply were designated for individuals of that day and era. That's, that's, that's the beauty of context. You have to put yourself where they were at, sit where they sat, walk with their shoes, right? That kind of stuff. And that way, God speaks to us through his word today and knowing what applies to us. And we, of course, living under uh, the age of the Messiah. We are living under the stewardship of Christian dispensation, it is the last age, what the scriptures would say, the end times, the end of age, the, the last dispensation of time we are living. And that last dispensation of time was during, of course, uh, began when Christ fulfilled the prophets, when he accomplished the uh, gospel, and that which is perfect had come. The The fully written scripture is what the uh, the scripture reveals. So it, it, all these things are important. So we can go back to these accounts, these true accounts in Genesis and read it through the proper perspective, the, the proper interpretation. And uh, that that really uh, strengthens our faith. It makes us strong. All right, my dear friends, I appreciate you all a great deal. I know that you are loved. know that you have purpose. Uh, you can certainly communicate with me uh, via comments or send me a private message, send me an email, all that kind of good stuff. AddedSouls.com is my website. Uh, I labor along with the at, at the East Coast Church of Christ uh, over here on uh, in New Brunswick, Canada. And you can certainly check us out over at eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. And uh, I don't know what else really there is. I think that's about it. Lord willing, tomorrow we will have our topical discussion. Check out the the, the the show notes. You'll see we go live from Monday to Friday. And each day has its designated theme on the things we speak about. So please consider subscribing to the channel And following along, and if you find yourself in New Brunswick, Canada, uh, and you'd like to just sit down with me and open the Bible and study, I'd I'd love to show you my studies. I'd like to show you what's going on in there. And maybe you're disenfranchised, like we were, from all these religious bodies that all have their different statements of faith and creeds and traditions and denominationalism. Uh, Maybe you're tired of the hypocrisy and the self righteousness of it all and the Pharisaical ways of uh, of this divisive world. That claims to be the Christian world. Um, Maybe you just want to be a Christian who belongs to Jesus and no one else. That's what we are over at the East Coast Church of Christ. And we call it the Church of Christ not because we have ourselves a earthly headquarters somewhere. Our only headquarter is in heaven, and our only head is Jesus Christ. We call it the Church of Christ, and there are many denominations, and cults that call themselves the Church of Christ, by the way. Nowadays, it's difficult to find any name. Like, it's, they're all taken. So we figured, call it what the Bible calls it. Let's call the church what the Bible calls the church. And Paul called the church the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. So we said, well, we're in the East Coast, and this church belongs to Jesus Christ. So it's the East Coast church that belongs to Jesus Christ, the East Coast Church of Christ. That's the only reason it's called Church of Christ. So don't say, oh, are you part of this here Church of Christ or that Church of Christ? No, we're autonomous. We have no—we're not governed by anything or anyone else but Jesus Christ through the 66 books of the Holy Bible. And we're a small group that meet in our homes. We are growing. We do have plans to uh, build a, a, a location that will have presence in the community. As we move forward, maybe that's the family you're looking for, a family that is in fellowship, that pray for each other, and you will have purpose in the East Coast congregation. There is purpose here. We learn things together and grow, but we all must be humble and honest, transparent to the text in which we are reading and respecting and honoring and obeying. You know. And so if something like that interests you, uh, by all means, reach out to us eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, church ofchrist.com can find us on all kinds of platforms everywheres uh, and uh we'd love to we'd love to see you all right my dear friends stay positive stay focused and uh yeah Lord willing tomorrow sound good peace out